Didn't they do such a great job? Thanks a lot, guys. You know, we come, we gather, we sing, we, we build community, and we look at the Word so that we can celebrate uh, our risen King. You know, you can't separate the cradle from the cross. The baby in the manger became the, the God-man on the cross who took our sins upon himself. And so today, as we reflect and we remember and we, we think and we treasure his birth, we also are reminded that Easter and Good Friday is right around the corner. Our victorious king today, who came through a birth canal, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and gave his life on Mount Calvary so that we might be redeemed. Amen? It's good to see you this morning. I want to encourage you to, um, if you're new today, we'd love to encourage you to fill out your connection card. Uh, on the screen, there's a QR code, or in your bulletin, there's a QR code, and you can uh, you can click that, you can do this digitally, or you can fill it out, uh, the connection card in your bulletin. Uh, that would be great. And um, we've got an offering uh, box back here in the corner where you can place the connection card in there. That would be awesome. And um, how about we do this? How about we stand and give a greeting to someone next to you, and then we're going to dive into the Word together, all right? All right, good morning, good morning. All right, church family, how's everyone doing? All right, it's always good to hear you, good to hear you. Hey, let's, um, let's dive into the Word together. I want to encourage you to pull out your message notes. We are finishing our series entitled Because of Bethlehem, and we're going to be uh, transitioning back to the Gospel of John next week. And so we'll be back in chapter 2, uh, looking at Jesus cleansing the temple there's a prophecy in Micah, small little book, prophetic book, that uh, packs a powerful punch about a messianic prophecy that was fulfilled hundreds of years after it was written down. This prophecy in Micah saying that a Savior would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You know, the birth of Jesus is a simple story that has left an indelible mark, a profound impact upon the hearts of millions of people throughout the centuries. But when it comes to the cast of Christmas. 
You know, you've got, of course, the hero of the story, which is Jesus. You have his parents, Mary and Joseph. Uh, You have the shepherds. You have the magi, prominent figures in the story. You even have the innkeeper. We don't, the person remains nameless. All we know is they turned away the son of God and his parents. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the massive regret that the innkeeper had? Maybe the innkeeper at some point in his life placed his faith in the Christ child. But when it comes to the birth of Jesus and the cast of the Christmas characters, there are a few characters that they really don't get much press. And so in this series, we've been looking at kind of some one-off, obscure, different verses that really highlight Christmas. Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that talks about Christ being our righteousness. We, Christ coming for us, we giving him, we gave him our sin, he gives us his righteousness. Today, I want us to look at Luke chapter 2, and, and I think Luke, the doctor, the church historian, the one who was funded by Theophilus, Luke, by the way, is a Gentile, a Gentile convert. He is funded by Theophilus to go out and to talk to people and to compile um, the, the oral stories, the written records of Jesus' teachings and his miracles. And so he does that. And he compiles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he compiles the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 25 to 35. So if you have a copy of God's Word or a smartphone, pull out your notes. We're going we're to dive into it together. Follow along as I read. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. I want you to notice the emphasis at this moment all the way down. The emphasis on the law of Moses. So they bring in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon and Anna are two of those characters that's really a part of the cast of Christmas that really kind of get overlooked. The Bible says that Anna is a prophetess. She's an 84-year-old widow. She's a hardcore worshiper of God. She is never, the Bible says, she has never departed from the temple. It's the place of the temple. It's where God would meet his people. It's where sacrifices would be made on behalf of the sins of the people. So she never departed from the temple, the, the presence of God. And she fasted and prayed night and day. She was righteous. She was devout. Simeon, on the other hand, was an old Jewish man who lived in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. 
He attends the temple as well. The Bible says the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit told him that he would not face death until he sees Jesus with his own eyes. Both Simeon and Anna were joyfully anticipating the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. In verse 25, it says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, right? The consolation, the, the comfort, the encouragement, the consolation of Israel, which is Jesus. In verse, 20, in verse 38, it says Anna came to the temple to speak of him, to speak of Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Both Simeon and Anna were waiting patiently. They were praying fervently. They were cherishing the hope of the Old Testament prophets. And guess what? They were pointing people to the one who would eventually save them. Virtually nothing is known about these two characters. We don't know much about Simeon and Anna, just a few details, but they tell us everything about the most significant person. You see, God uses nobodies to tell everybody about somebody, amen? You and I, we're just a bunch of nobodies, saved by the grace of God, amen? Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his kindness, right? Where would we be without Christ? Jesus has changed our lives. God's mercy and his, and his love has flooded into our lives and it's transformed us. We're a bunch of nobodies. In the grand scheme of things, we're just ordinary, average people. But if you think your job is to share the gospel with everyone, you're mistaken. Your job is to share the gospel with those people that God has placed into your world. Now, don't get me wrong. There's those beautiful one-offs, those, those encounters, those divine employments where God opens a door and you can share the gospel with someone. But listen, oftentimes, oftentimes, credibility has to be established before you can tell truth. You, you invest, you build, you, you get to know someone, you love them for who they are and where they are and what they believe and, and, and you're, you're different. Maybe you hold this different spiritual beliefs, but you love them, you care for them because they're loved and they're cared by Almighty God. And when you invest in their life, God's going to use you and you, you take opportunities to share the gospel. Here's point number one. Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is roughly about six weeks old. His mother and, uh, and his father, Mary and Joseph, are bringing him to Jerusalem to dedicate him at the temple. If you go back to uh, the law of Moses in the book of Exodus and Numbers, it talks about every male child will be presented to the Lord, will be dedicated to the Lord. So here's what Mary and Joseph are doing. They're God-fearing parents, right? They are redeeming Jesus, basically bringing him to the temple, saying, listen, he belongs to you. When you dedicate a child, it is a dedication that you're going to raise that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but it's also a dedication that the church family is going to come alongside you, and they're going to pour spiritual truth into the lives and hearts of your children. But ultimately, it's a dedication that that child is not owned by you. They're owned by God. Listen, parents, I want to give you a good word this Christmas weekend. Maybe, just maybe, there's a prodigal in your family You've raised them to church. You've passed down the values. You've modeled the faith. And they have drifted like the prodigal son. 
They, they snagged the inheritance. They drifted. They're walking away from God. Listen, we serve a God of hope. We serve a God of grace. We serve a God that gives second chances. Understand that this child, when you dedicate your children to the Lord, no longer do they ultimately belong to you. They belong to him. You're just stewarding the gifts. Right? They're on loan to you from God. Think about it that way. You don't own them. God owns them. God owns their heart. And so Mary and Joseph, they arrive in Jerusalem, and we know that there's places for ceremonial washing, and they would be wearing white, and they would ascend most likely the southern steps of the temple, and, and each, temple had a, each temple step had a different length. Some were, were, were wider, longer, some were shorter. So it was very deliberate. As you're ascending the southern steps of the Temple Mount, you're reflecting. You're very mindful of what you're doing as you're preparing your way to encounter God and the presence of the Lord. And it says that they bring an offering, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, It was a sin offering prescribed in the Old Testament for poor people. Joseph and Mary could not afford a typical sacrifice. It tells us that they were poor. They grew up in poverty, right? Jesus wasn't raised with a golden spoon in his mouth. He came from podunk, insignificant town called Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel said as we're walking through the Gospel of John? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, the greatest thing in the world came from Nazareth, Jesus Christ, amen? I want you to notice the emphasis that Luke places on the law of Moses. It is so easy to read this story and miss, I think, one of the most important details of the entire passage. In verse 22, it says purification according to the law of Moses. In verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. In verse 24, offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, according to the custom of the law. And then in verse 39, the culmination, right? The pinnacle, right? The transition point. And when they performed everything, I love that. When they performed everything, not just a few things, they weren't picking and choosing. Well, you know, this fits good in my schedule, you know. No, it was like, we're doing this. They were all in type parents, righteous, devout, committed, right? Pursuing God. After they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, which we know that's a good 80, 90 mile track. So what's going on here? What is Luke doing? Luke has given us details, I think, about some of the most amazing truth in all the Bible. You know, we know on one occasion, actually in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was in the northern part of Galilee, and he's on this grassy hill, and he's overlooking the, the crystal blue sea of Galilee, and the crowds are forming, and they're, they're just like sitting, and they're hanging on every word. Remember what Jesus said in that great Sermon on the Mount? He said, I came not to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law in every sense of the way. He came to fulfill it in, 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 in the sacrificial system way, in the ceremonial way, in, according to the dietary laws, everything. He fulfilled in his life and ministry. Here's, here's what I'm saying. Jesus, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. As I'm getting my thoughts together. As they're bringing 
their child Jesus. I mean, they, they've already been reminded. I mean, the angel said, Joseph, you're gonna name him Jesus, right? They've always, they've had these encounters, right? The angels and the shepherds, right? They, they've had this encounter. And even Mary, it says that Mary has treasured these things in her heart. Things were revealed to them about their son, Jesus. As they're holding the sin offering, the turtle doves, the young pigeons, and they're making their way up the southern steps to get their way onto the temple mount so that they can make that sacrifice, the sin offering, Maybe, just maybe, it didn't fully connect that they were also holding the sin offering for the world. Jesus became the sin offering for us. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. See, in the Old Testament, you would have to go. I mean, it was like daily sacrifices and yearly sacrifices. It was something that was just continual, just like year after year after year. There was never a moment where you were completely pure, completely washed, right with God, no more sacrifices, until Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, he changed everything. Jesus is the, the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God. He became the sin offering for us. Jesus' death was always God's plan. I mean, we know that the religious leaders turned on him. We know that his own hometown in Nazareth rejected him when he went in on that, on that day to read from the, the scroll of Isaiah and say that these things have been fulfilled in your hearing. And he sits down and it says that they drove him out of the synagogue and they drove him to the edge of Nazareth, which, by the way, Next time we take a trip to Israel, because Lord willing, we will, Lord willing, we get, go to Israel someday. Some of you are like, I, I'm not going. Yeah, we're going, okay? We're going at some point. You're going. When you go to Nazareth, you see the cliffs in Nazareth. You can see where one of those cliffs, they tried to drive him off of the edge of that mountain. And we know that Jesus escaped because he's God. Jesus, his death, was always God's plan. It wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't his hometown people. It wasn't Herod. It wasn't Pilate. It was our sin. But ultimately, he was crushed under the, rate, um, uh, uh, under the weight of God's wrath. God poured out his wrath upon his son because God is just. And that's how God can make us right with him. That's how we can be forgiven because Jesus was this perfect, spotless lamb of God. The Bible says we have all sinned. It says, um, for, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is a penalty for sin. It's separation from God. It's, it's spiritual separation. Jesus came to pay that price. You see, either we pay the price by our own spiritual death. We pay that price. We are spiritually separated from God from all eternity. Or we accept Jesus who paid it all. For our sins. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Underline that. Suddenly come to his temple. Oh, he came to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 400 years before Jesus was ever born. Malachi, by the Spirit of God, gave a prophetic word. So how will people know who the Messiah is? A messenger. We know John the Baptist will prepare the way. 
And Jesus will arrive at what destination? The temple. Joseph and Mary bringing their son Jesus, their firstborn son, they're fulfilling, check this out, they're fulfilling a 400-year-old prophecy. Simeon comes into the temple. The story tells us that the Holy Spirit is all over him. Joseph and Mary arrive into the temple. Simeon sees the consolation. He sees the salvation of Israel for the very first time. Simeon, he gets his eyes on Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the one that he's been joyfully waiting for, anticipating. And he immediately picks up Jesus. I want you to picture this scene with me. He picks baby Jesus up and he holds him in his arms and he blesses God. Simeon is not just holding baby Jesus, he is holding the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, God incarnate, the agent of creation. Through Christ, everything was made. The long-awaited Messiah. Here's point number two. Jesus is our source of peace. Jesus is our source of peace. According to Luke chapter 2, verse 20, Simeon said, Lord, so we know Simeon, he's righteous, he's devout. He says, Lord, Master, Sovereign, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Here's the deal. Promise made, promise kept. This is God. Promise made, promise kept. God made a promise to Simeon that he would not see death before he sees the Messiah. We don't know how long Simeon waited, but we know that God kept his promise, and God always keeps his promises. Simeon is, is ready to die in peace because he has seen the Prince of Peace. I love what J.C. Ryle says. He says about Simeon, quote, he speaks like one for whom the grave has lost its terrors and the world its charms. Isn't that good? Simeon was not afraid of death. And he was not clinging to the world. Sometimes we can be afraid of death. Because death is the final enemy. Death is foreign. Like I said last week, it comes uninvited. It's uninvited. It's inescapable. It comes to you if you're rich or poor, black or white, any shade of color, old, young. It's coming for you. It's coming for you. Some of you are like, it's coming for me pretty quick, right? I kind of liken our life to a, a game of basketball. First quarter, second quarter, halftime, third quarter, fourth quarter. I think, I mean, I just turned 44. I think I'm still in the first quarter. I think. I think. I don't know about you. No, I think, I think I'm in the third quarter. Now, if anyone says the top of the fourth, I'm going to excommunicate you right now. You're out of here, man, right? So some of you are like, wow, man, if you're 44, I'm like 70-something. Yep, you got shoot the ball, man, because the game's about to end, bro. Shoot the ball, man, right? Here's the deal. Death is coming for us all. You, you can't escape it. It's coming for you. But Simeon, the grave lost his terrors and the world its charms. That's how we should live. We should live with this, with this hope in Christ that the grave has lost its terrors and the world its charms. Simeon was not in love with the world. 
You know everyone's gonna die. Luke is telling us that our confidence in the face of death, our origin of peace is Jesus. Before you can have peace, before you can have peace with God, you have to recognize the war. There is a war, and the war started with Adam and Eve. God gave them complete freedom and and intimacy. They walked with God in the cool of the day. Can you imagine what that was like? And God said, "Only, only one thing, don't eat from that tree, and they did. And they got banished from the garden, and because of their sin, sin leads to death, and then death is spread to all men because all have sinned. So when you're born, you're not born with a blank slate. Your DNA has been stained by sin. Adam represents you. Therefore, Adam was a sinner, therefore you're a sinner. We come into this world as as sinners. But can you say with Simeon today, I can depart in peace. Today can be my last day. I can face death because I've seen Jesus. You know, Simeon, he longed for the, the coming Messiah. And he saw the Messiah and he held the Messiah in his arms. You might say, well, I've never seen Jesus. I've never held Jesus in my hands. But you and I have seen more than Simeon. You and I have seen more than Simeon. We have the written word of God. We have the revelation of God in our hands. We have read the eyewitness accounts concerning his birth, his ministry, his death and resurrection. Simeon never saw the compassion of Jesus towards the sick, towards sinners, towards the outcast, the lowly, the brokenhearted. Simeon never heard the wonderful teachings of Jesus. He never read or the, the, the words, the merciful words, today you shall be with me in paradise. He never read the words, it is finished. Simeon never read the New Testament. He never read Paul's words that, that, that Christ is our conquering king. And yet, even though we have seen more, we may long for him less. Jesus can be your peace at death. If he is the prince of peace that's ruling and reigning in your life. If you don't know this Prince of Peace, don't put another day off. Bow the knees, surrender your life, give your heart to Christ, and he will forgive you. And he'll change your life, and he'll he'll give you meaning in the present, he'll give you hope for the future, but real hope beyond the grave. Point number three. Jesus is the Savior of the world. I want you to notice in verse 28, it says that Simeon took him up in his arms. I mean, can you imagine? He's an old Jewish man. He's been waiting for the Messiah. Finally, and the Lord said, you're going to see the Messiah. And, And Simeon believed. It says, he takes him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes, notice this. Notice the personal aspect of salvation. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So it starts with him personally. It impacts his heart personally, right? Salvation is personal. And then it moves to this, this, global, this global mindset, perspective. Salvation is for all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Is salvation personal to you? Is Christ personal savior, personal king, personal master? Jesus is the hope of the world. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, 
You know, Jesus, he was just a wandering holy man. He was a peasant Jewish uh, cynic. The Talmud says, a magician who sought to lead Israel astray. Some people say, well, he was just a first century Palestinian nutcase. He was a self-proclaimed prophet who died in disillusionment. Some people say, no, he was a moral reformer. You know, he was a political savior. He was a social revolutionary. He was a legend. He was a legend. That's all he was. He's just one big fabrication of the early church. They just concocted this whole story. They got together, you know, and they, and they wrote the New Testament together. You know, a few years ago, this is, this is a freebie right here, so I don't know, I don't know how the delivery is going to be, but a few years ago, my son showed me this video, and I was cracking up. It was about like, now some people, you might be offended, but I was cracking up because I thought it was really hilarious. It was all the disciples around a bonfire pit, and they were like, oh, yeah, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to steal the body, and we're going to tell people that he, he conquered the grave. And they're like cheering and screaming, ah. And then, they're, then what we're going to do is we're going to be martyred for our faith, for a lie. I was like cracking up. Okay, that didn't, that didn't, okay. All right, whatever, whatever. Some of you, you're like, I'm going to look that, I'm going to look that up today. It is the most hilarious video, I'm telling you right now. Because here's the deal. You're not going to die for something that's not true. You're only going to die for the truth, right? When it comes to Jesus, Jesus boldly proclaimed and he stated emphatically who he was. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People don't like hearing that salvation is only found in Christ. But that's the Bible. This is what Jesus is making it so clear. I am the truth, the life, the way. It says he's a light to the Gentiles, which means light symbolizes truth. He is the truth to all people. He reveals truth to all people like a light reveals everything around you. Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If Jesus is wrong, the apostles will be wrong, and they stake their life on Jesus and his resurrection, then Jesus can't be a way because he's a liar, he's a fraud, he's a a fanatic. He claimed to forgive sins and bring people to God, but he was a full-blown liar. Here's point number four. Jesus is a sword that divides. Jesus is a sword that divides. Simeon speaks directly to Mary. And notice what Simeon says in verse 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here's what Simeon is telling Mary, and here's my message to you today. 2023, Christmas weekend. Here it is right here. You can't be neutral with Jesus. You can't be neutral. You know, you can't just put in a neutral and coast and be like, hey, I'm good to go. You gotta, you gotta put into Jesus gear. Either you accept him or you reject him. You can't be neutral. Jesus came to bring peace and conflict. 
See, we like to talk about all the peace that he brings. Praise God for that peace. But he also brings conflict. He brings peace and he brings a sword. And a sword is something that divides. The Bible says that the word of God is a double-edged sword. Right? It cuts deep. It, It convicts us. It gets us right with God. It pierces us. It pierces us with truth. It, it, it pierces us concerning our sin. It, it shows us who God is. I want you to look at this passage with me real quick. Luke 12, 51 to 53. Jesus said, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Here's the deal. Here's what Jesus is saying. Yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he also brings a sword. Jesus is the center of controversy and conflict and division. I mean, what I just said a moment ago, Jesus is the only way that sparks controversy. You're narrow-minded. You're not loving. Now listen, I think the most loving thing you can do is tell people the truth. The most loving thing that you can do is tell someone that Jesus is God and that he died for their sins And that they can find hope and peace and love in Christ. Jesus is either a point of unity for those who love him or a point of disunity for those who hate him. The gospel divides families, right? We're not surprised by that, you know? It's as if, you know, know, some are followers of Christ and and, and some aren't, right? In, In your own family, you know, you could probably give testimony. Maybe you got a mom or a dad or a brother, sister, cousin, maybe you got a a child that doesn't know Jesus. You're a Christ follower. They're not. Just make sure. Just make sure that you're modeling the gospel. Make sure that you're extending forgiveness and grace and and you're walking walking before them in truth. And you're not offensive, right? Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 26. I want us to fast forward to to the cross. Because Simeon made a, made a point about Mary's heart being pierced. It says, now great crowds accompanied him. And, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is using the language of hyperbole, exaggeration to get his point across. He's not really saying, hate your father or hate your mother. He is saying, choose me over your father, your mother, your spouse, your child, your friend. Simeon says that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rising of many. He's either appointed for your resurrection, he's appointed for you to have eternal life, or he's appointed for your fall. He's appointed for your judgment. You see, we see Jesus as the Savior, but do you know that Jesus will be the judge on judgment day? The Bible says that we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account of our lives. Now, the Bible says that the books will be opened when it comes to unbelievers. The great white throne judgment that's mentioned in the book of Revelation and and the multitudes will stand before God and the books will be opened. What are the books? We don't know. Maybe one book is 
all the opportunities that you had to receive the gospel, but you just rejected it. Maybe one book is about maybe your thoughts or your actions or your motives, and, and clearly you stand condemned before a holy God. We know at some point we're gonna stand before God. It's appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. You can't be neutral with Jesus. Either you're for him or you're against him. You're either going to fall or you're going to rise. You know, Jesus made these bold claims about himself and he backed up the claims. Jesus, the God-man, born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a cattle trough. A cattle trough. We talked about that last week. Cattle would, would eat food. Snot would get in these troughs. It's where Jesus was laid. He was placed in a little grotto, a little cave. And, and we know that Jesus entered public ministry at age 30. And three years later, he gave his life on the cross. And why did he do that? So that we can know God. We can know God the Father. You see, when it comes to the life of Jesus... He's appointed for your fall or your rising. As a follower of Jesus, death becomes our friend and it ushers us into the presence of God. Jesus' life and death and resurrection is appointed for you to beat death, for you to rise again to new life, a new perfect body for all eternity. But if you're not a believer, Jesus has been appointed for your fall. If you die without Christ today, you will be forever banished from the presence of God. You will fall before the feet of Jesus, and you will say, Jesus is Lord. But at that moment, at that moment, it's too late. There's no second chances. So my my plea to you this morning is understand that Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. That is the essence of the gospel. He fulfilled all. All of the Old Testament, all of the Mosaic laws, all the requirements, everything connected to the covenant, Jesus came and he fulfilled it every every little bit. And Jesus came to be the Savior of the world, but he also brings a sword. Make sure, make sure that when, before you face death, you're like Simeon. You can face death in peace because you have seen and treasured and embraced the Prince of Peace. Amen? Let's pray.